Hello, folks, and welcome to the Sense and Theory podcast. I'm Sense. And I'm Theory. And today we have a pretty interesting episode for you guys about cognitive dissonance. Cogs in the what? Yeah, cogs, just cogs in the machine, man. That's that's all we are. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, before we jump into that, uh, I want to kick it back to last week's episode. Last week we talked about race, and I had brought up a story about um, two women in Portland, Oregon, who had opened a taco cart and uh, it ended up getting closed. People were outraged because they had culturally appropriated their tortilla recipe. Mm-hmm. And, you were uh, wrong. And I was wrong. Sure enough, I ins- that, that wasn't a part of our notes. I tried to do it from memory. And, you know, memory isn't always the best. Uh, but here is the actual quote uh, that outraged people in Portland, Oregon, uh, from the story. The girl said, I picked the brains of every tortilla lady there in the worst broken Spanish ever, and they showed me a little of what they did. They told us the basic ingredients, and we saw them moving and stretching the dough, similar to how pizza makers do before rolling it out with rolling pins. They wouldn't tell us too much about technique, but we were peeking into the windows of every kitchen, totally fascinated by how easy they made it look. We learned quickly it isn't quite that easy. Yeah, so that's not quite the same. No, uh, no, as what you had, I'd, what I'd you had said, said uh, you know, <laughs> they invited them in with love and showed them the, the processes in their kitchen. And, you know, I really wish that, like, we had somebody on staff that, you know, like, or, you know, that we paid somebody who, wait, would, wait. who would catch mistakes like that. Don't we contract someone for that? You know, I could have swore we did. Pretty sure it's mm. in the budget, you know. But uh, somehow or another, that slipped through. And, uh, and I just felt like, you know, it, it would be you know, disingenuous for us to just leave that there and not say something. Sure. However, it, it doesn't change my opinion on whether or not these, these women should have been run out of business for cultural appropriation. Right. Right. Um, I mean, it's a thousand miles away. Yeah. Um, granted they were kind of peeking into backs of kitchens and stuff, but really imagine anyone else doing that anywhere is a uh, good business practice. Yeah. You know? It's not, it's now, not something that's like inherent to whiteness. People are always know? trying to steel coke's recipe you know i think Absolutely. they're you know kfc's secret spices like i don't know it just yeah. seems like and uh, ultimately uh you know like like they said it's not that they they took that exact recipe and that's what they're making you know right they had to f- they took what they saw learned there were from still it parts and, and secrets created that- a product of their own i the whole kerfluffle over cultural appropriation which i think is what we were you know what at least i was getting to in that episode is there are times where it's a bad thing. There's, you know, the old Charlie Chan movies. I mean, you know, sure. there there are times where like racial stereotyping and and people who don't respect cultures, uh, you know, just just completely go overboard with that stuff. But by and large, cultural appropriate it's not appropriate. It's sharing, man. Yeah. It's, it's it's imagine uh, imagine a world where you know spices were never brought out of India and taken to other lands. And, right. You know, half right. of these recipes never developed in the first place. Right. I, Right. I just feel like, uh, you know, like you said, it's, uh, it's we're just sharing here, man. Yep. You know, or stealing and <laughs> appropriating. <laughs> it's it's somewhere in the middle. <laughs> somewhere in the middle. Um, so we're going to get into uh, cognitive dissonance. Before we do, though, we have to mention that this episode is actually a listener request. Uh, listener source, of course. Uh, I had put a call out on uh, social media. I said, hey, guys, do you have any topics you want us to discuss, guests, anything that interests you? And he responded. He said he'd like to hear an episode on uh, cognitive dissonance. And here we are. So uh, bear in mind that we're going to be doing that again uh, in the future. 
And we would love to hear from you guys. And you don't have to wait for a post. You can hit us up at sense and theory podcast at gmail.com or uh, find us on Facebook, Twitter. We've got a subreddit now. Some kind soul <laughs> yeah. created a sense and theory podcast subreddit. What's yeah, up with absolutely. that? Man? So, yeah. So pop in there. Uh, give us your suggestions, your guest topics, all that stuff. We're more than happy. Uh, it's like we always say, this show is yours as much as it is ours. Yep. So. Yep. We, and we always like to hear from you guys. Uh, so without further ado, let's uh, let's kick it off and talk a little bit about cognitive dissonance. Absolutely, um, it's a it's a pretty pretty heavy topic. Um, Can be, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I figure we'll start it off with uh, with a definition, and this is directly from Wikipedia. Uh, in the field of psychology, cognitive dissonance is the mental discomfort experienced by a person who simultaneously holds two or more contradictory beliefs, ideas, or values. The occurrence of cognitive dissonance is a consequence of a person performing an action that contradicts personal beliefs, ideals, and values, and also occurs when confronted with new information that contradicts said beliefs, ideals, and values. So right. uh, to put it simply, um, you have ideas about the world when you're presented with information that conflicts with mm-hmm. your with your beliefs, it causes discomfort. And, yeah. and the problems that arrive from cognitive dissonance, which we all suffer... Right. Um, all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problems come when we deal with the cognitive dissonance, right? right so, right. Uh, you know, we can take various actions to uh, to prevent that discomfort that we feel, and, and sometimes that's easy as like talking yourself into uh, why it's a good thing. Like, say, smoking. We all know smoking mm-hmm. is terrible. Um, it kills us, and you know we know this. Yet every time you light a, light a cigarette, you feel some mental discomfort, right. uh, knowing that well. Smoking is bad, but I want the cigarette. So right. you, so at that point, you talk yourself into it, and you say, "Yeah, you have justifications." Uh, you know, you you have everything from ah, you know. At one point, I think people were like, ah, "I don't know if the science is quite, uh-huh. you know, right on this." Or you say, uh, you know, personally, me, I always say I'm I'm guilty of this. Absolutely, I always say, "Well, you know, I, I don't really care what happens to me, so I'm I'm not worried about it." You know, <laughs> until you're so, 59. Yeah, on when I'm 59 and and on a respirator, maybe I will. You know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we find various ways. I think one thing that's important to clear up is it's not just when um, it, it is new information, but it's not just when you're confronted with new information. Sometimes you could be holding two ideas that you don't realize clash, and it's you, you you're you're just confronted with it one day. You realize all uh-huh. of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, if I'm if I believe this and I believe that, those those two things may not go together here, and you, and you have to find a way. To, to bring harmony back into your cognition. You right. Know? So you, so we do weird things. We do mm-hmm. really strange things to, to rectify this dissonance. And that's what we're going to talk about mostly today. Yeah. Um, I think, well, the, I think another thing that we have to clear up is that there is a difference between hypocrisy and cognitive dissonance, right? So one of the problems that I really wanted this episode to address is increasingly we're seeing cognitive dissonance used as like a club almost. Like I've read in articles and and people kind of like backhandedly or smirkingly say, oh, the the cognitive dissonance over there is just amazing, (laughs) you know. And and it's it's not like that, you know. It's something, like you said, we all face. You could face cognitive dissonance over cheating on your diet. Sure. You know, it's it's how you deal with it that really sets that apart. Well, hypocrisy is merely one of the ways – that we deal with cognitive dissonance. So it's not hypocrisy. The meaning of the word has come to change over the years. 
it used to be that hypocrisy meant there was an intention to deceive. Uh-huh. That you were on purposefully acting in a in a in a way that, that was, was inconsistent, inconsistent with, with, with your what previous you beliefs. And so over time, like, you know, we're like, oh, he's a hypocrite. And always, well, you know that gray area where you call somebody a hypocrite, but you don't think they're a bastard? That's cognitive dissonance. That's that's the part, you know, I mean, that's just, you can just honestly be trying to find a way to navigate that cognitive dissonance without intending to to be facetious or set up your opponent or, or what have you. Right. You know, and, and so I think as we talk about these various examples today, remember that. Remember that. You know, it's not necessarily the the decisions that we make sometimes we're kind of at their mercy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And to illustrate that, I think uh, this cognitive dissonance is something that's been widely studied. um, And there are just countless studies looking at its effects. So we picked out three today that I think really give you a good idea of how strongly this can impact us because the results of these studies are somewhat counterintuitive. Completely, not even somewhat, completely (laughs) counterintuitive. In fact, like I had to read over these things like five, six times and, and, you know, hash it out in my mind, like how this was even possible. Yeah. Uh, Because really it, it makes no sense. You know, it makes no sense. The way we react to this, this dissonant information is just just fascinating. So uh, let's, uh, let's go ahead and kick it off. You want to tell us about uh, induced compliance? What is is induced compliance? So induced compliance, there are paradigms is what they call them to, uh, uh, cognitive dissonance. And that's basically, you know, ways that we deal with it or, or situations that can arise within cognitive dissonance theory. And so one of them is induced compliance. So what they did was they took a study and they divided the, the people into separate groups. They had a control group, but then they had, uh, one group that was going to be paid $20 to turn these little pegs, a quarter turn, like every five minutes, I believe it was. So, I mean, it was like just a mind numbingly boring task. And they had to do it for, you know, an hour or two hours, something like that. The other group got paid $1 to do it. After they had completed the task, they had a, like an undercover member of the study go in. And the people who were being studied were told that they had to convince this guy that the task that they were doing, the turning the pegs was like the greatest thing ever. You know, they had to talk him into it. And then after they had done that, uh, they were asked to rate turning the pegs. Like, honestly, just like between them and the, and the people running the study. Well, what they found was the people who were only paid a dollar rated the task as way more enjoyable (laughs) than the people who got paid $20, right? So why did this happen? Well, the theory says the reason this happened is because the people who got paid $1, they, when you have the person come in that they have to, you know, say, this is the greatest thing ever to, you have to lie to that person, Right. So the people who got paid 20 bucks, they could say, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting 20 bucks. You know? Yeah. They like, just, they write it off. They yeah. say, but the it person sucks, but <laughs> yeah, I'm well, getting 20 bucks. The person who only gets $1 doesn't get to lean on that. So they actually have to convince themselves in their head that, yeah, maybe it wasn't such a bad activity. <laughs> it yeah. was, it was only worth a dollar. I, I, you know, I really a... enjoyed turning those pegs, man. Yeah. That, that was all right. Because that person doesn't want to admit to themselves that they just lied to somebody. And that they just did this shit for a dollar. Yeah. So they have to make the activity look like something outstanding. Mm-hmm. So already we can see how cognitive dissonance can get its hooks into you and make you devalue things, right? Right. Well, why don't you hit them with the forbidden toy? So in the forbidden toy experiment, um, they gathered a group of kids, put them in a room full of toys, and there was this really awesome steam shovel that they told all the kids 
that they could not play with. Um, half of the kids, they told them, would have a very severe punishment if they played with the toy. The other half uh, got a very light punishment. Uh, and then later they said, turn, turn the kids loose, said, play with whatever toy you want. And overwhelmingly, mm-hmm. the kids with the mild punishment did not play with the steam shovel. <laughs> they had they had somehow convinced themselves that this was a just a crappy toy. You know, right. oh, there's no need to play with that. The kids who had the really harsh punishment on the line were like, oh, boy. Yeah. You know, that must be good. Oh, I yeah, can't now wait. I, now I can get to that steam shovel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, to me, that again, that's kind of counterintuitive. And and maybe speaks to uh, speaks to even our justice system and how we yeah. approach punishments and and you know what that means in, in a larger society. You know, I don't know. Well, the idea, I think, the idea is, and it kind of goes hand in hand with induced compliance. So the kids who had the harsh punishment never considered the merits of the steam shovel because there was a harsh punishment in the way, right? So so for them, you know, it was just like, oh well, you know, I'm a I don't want to be in timeout for an hour or whatever, you know, whatever it was. Whereas the guys with the, the kids with the mild punishments, you know, there's, there's that temptation, right? They're like, they're like, well, you know, I could play with that shovel, but yeah, I don't, I don't, five want, minutes I don't want to be in trouble. Like, so now they start talking about, they're like, well, you know what? Forget that shovel, man. I don't even need that shovel. Look, look, look at these cubes over here. I can play with these cubes, you know? So they start talking to themselves and convincing themselves that they don't want to play with that shovel because that's the dissonance, right? Because they have to. I don't want to be punished, and I do want to play with that shovel. One of those things has to go. Right. So I don't want to play with that shovel. And it's really easy to make that decision when the punishment's harsh. Right, right. You tell yourself immediately, you know, right. I don't want to play with that shovel. But I think there's also this aspect of if you attach a harsh punishment to it, it must be good. Yeah. You know, it must be real. You know, those are the things when we talk about harsh punishments in the justice system, you know, it's for the crimes that make you a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, so when that punishment's lifted, all of a sudden it looks better to you. Yeah. And well, and you also, you kind of, you, uh, you just take it for granted, right? Like that's, that's the stakes of the game, right? Like when you're talking about a crime where you're going to make a bunch of money, you're like, well, with big risk comes big reward. You know what I mean? Like, unless you're wall street and (laughs) yeah, yeah, you got a, you got a good point there. So I think uh, there was a side note to to that one. There was, uh, which actually might even say more about schooling and the justice system. But uh, they they had this one study where they had preschoolers and they had this little puzzle activity that they had to do. And they offered half the kids a reward if they did the puzzle activity and the other half didn't get them. So, you know, kids do the puzzle activity. And then again, later that day, they let them like free play. Well, the kids who didn't get a reward uh, were totally into the puzzle activity. Kept like they, doing the they puzzle learned, activity. Yeah, because there was no reward for them to play with the puzzle, so they actually looked at the merits and the values of the puzzle. Right, you playing with I mean? the puzzle was the reward for the kids who right. got a reward for it. Playing with the puzzle was the reward. It was the reward that they were after. <laughs> right. yeah, it was yeah. the reward that they were after. When yeah. that reward is taken away, now you feel like this sense of missing the mm-hmm. reward. It's not as good anymore because right. the reward doesn't come along with it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the last one is effort justification. Okay. Right? And I think this one is probably going to be uh, the most impactful on a lot of things uh, that we're talking about today, and I'll, I'll demonstrate why. They For this study, they set up a fake study, right? They set up this sex study. And they brought the people in, and they told them that in order to join, to participate in this study, uh, they had to go through this initiation of sorts. So half the group had to say 12 obscene sexual words. 
And I'm not going to repeat them here because this is a family show. This is so, not a family show. This is it's a fucked up family I've show. I've probably said everything that those... What, what are they going to talk about? Cleveland steamrollers or something? Uh, <laughs> Cleveland steamrollers? We got we to gotta talk about anatomy after the show. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so anyway, uh, they did the, uh, the 12 obscene words. And then the other group did 12 sexual words that were not obscene. So they, you know, like penis, vagina. Um, so then they have them join this sex study and they intentionally designed the sex study to be just awful, to be terrible, like monotonous and, you know, no enjoyment whatsoever. So afterwards they had the people rate the, the sex study, like the experience of participating in it. The people who had the more intense, more intensely embarrassing initiation rated it way higher. <laughs> and so why is that? So here we have again. They've had to they've had to convince themselves why they've gone through this bizarre, yeah. embarrassing initiation. So, so of course they've convinced themselves that that what they got out of it was mm-hmm. better. Exactly, exactly. And it's the same thing that you see with fraternities and sororities, right? Uh-huh. You have this strict loyalty, and and you know people are just crazy about fraternities and sororities once they're in them. Well, that's because they got bent over and smacked with a paddle and had to walk across Cheetos or whatever the yeah. hell they do to these kids. Before they joined, right? So I think we're going to see that as we slide over into politics, because (laughs) what ends up happening is you've now tied yourself to something and you need it to be the best that it can possibly be, because otherwise, what have you done? Right. Otherwise, why did you behave the way you behaved? Right. And I think uh, one of the places where we start to see cognitive dissonance uh, you know, definitely creep into the conversation is this whole Stormy Daniels thing, right? That's really, we're going to start with Stormy freaking we Daniels. We are going to start with Stormy Daniels because I don't know if you get a better uh, better example of it. And I'll tell you why. Well, first off, uh, for those of you who don't know, all, all three of you, Stormy Daniels has alleged that she had an affair with Donald Trump in 2006 that lasted for a year. And she is uh, also alleged that she was paid $130,000 prior to the 2016 election to keep quiet. Right. Now, there's been some other allegations that she's tossed in. She said that uh, at one point, I think in 2011, a guy approached her in the parking lot and was like, keep quiet about this or I'll kill you and your baby. That's criminal. Which is criminal and, you know, terrible if that's what happened. But, you know, who knows, you know. And uh, then there's also an angle on this that, if Trump's lawyer paid her $130,000 that could, you know, right before the election, that can be an election law violation. Like, camp, you know, campaign that's finance. criminal. That is criminal. Uh, would it stick? I'm not sure because the, you know, that you'd be saying the money didn't come from Trump. And right. I think if, you know, so I, setting all that aside for a second, this story had legs and was in the news before any of that came out. Absolutely. Why was it a story? It was it was a story as soon as there was an affair. Yeah. So I'm asking, why was that a story? That's a really good question, because <laughs> I seem to remember one Monica Lewinsky exactly. uh, in the White House not too, not too long ago with Bill Clinton. Um, and, you know, the Dems, by and large, defended him and said, right. this is a private matter. You know, why are right. you guys throwing this out in the public sphere? And I, I tend to agree. Yeah. It's your private life, man. Bang who you want. Yeah. Uh, let your wife deal with that. Let your husband deal with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, figure it out among you guys. But as long as you're doing a good job as the president, 
get a blowjob from whoever you yeah. want. Get uh, get cunnilingus from who, from whoever you want. Hopefully right. one day that you're, uh, you're going to try to say them all now, right? It. Like all yeah. the obscene words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. I'm cool. shooting for it. Awesome. Wait, those are the, those are just the mildly dirty words. If yeah. you want me to get obscene, we can get obscene. <laughs> We're talking about Lewinsky and Stormy Daniels here. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, no, but I I think it's I think it's funny because you know now all of a sudden you got people on the right, uh, for lack of a better term, it, it, saying. He's not a preacher. Trump's not a preacher. Oh, why are we worried yeah. about this? He's the president. Oh, they're Dude, comparing him to King David in you, the Bible. Yeah, yeah. You guys were the same people who tore down Bill Clinton and, right. and impeached Bill Clinton. Like, give me a break. How is this? How is this happening? Yeah. No, I, I think it just goes to show you like, so we have the complete flip flop and I could see, okay, look, I can see with the, the president of the United States, right? If I find out that, you know, he was having an affair uh, you know, it was in the Oval Office and stuff. I don't want to know about it. I don't need to know about it. If you're the sitting president and you're in office, maybe maybe the FBI should make sure everything's cool. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't I don't I don't know what's going on there. But, you know, just make sure that you're you're not going to, like, get mad at her and hit the button or something. You know, what I mean? <laughs> like, I, I don't know what's going on. But uh, but yeah, largely that's that's up to you. Right. Well, this affair, this this Trump thing. 12 years ago, man. Yeah. So so now the only before we found out about the 130,000 and whether or not it was a campaign which is to me again and that's on very shaky ground. Um basically on the left you were upset because this dude had an affair. That's ridiculous if we go back to 1998. And then for you on the right <laughs> King David, man. Give King me a break, David. There are dude. evangelicals and they're like Oh, well, you know, King David wasn't a perfect servant of God. He cheated on his wife with Bathsheba and all this stuff bringing out, you know, and it's Imagine like. Imagine if Obama had cheated on his wife, man. Give exactly. me a break. So here's, here's I think, one of the one of the ways we see cognitive dissonance uh, also creep in here is the idea now that uh, I've heard people on the left or seen them argue that, well, you know, this is something he could, the Russians could blackmail him for <laughs> And it's like, not okay. if you, not if you think clearly. So, so, <laughs> all right. So, ah, damn the Russians. All right. So the Russians could blackmail him for this affair from 12 years ago, but the Russians could not blackmail Bill Clinton for getting a BJ in the goddamn Oval in, Office. In the Oval you know what Office I'm itself. Like, like, dude, man, like you're, you're trying to, you're like, well, this has to be extra bad. Right. right. Because I was okay with that, but I'm not okay with this. So this has to be extra bad. Right. Or I'm not okay yeah. with Trump and I'm right, looking right. for things to be, you know, to, to convince me that my assessment of Trump is, is correct. Right. And when I'm conflicted, you know, I wonder if people, if people on the, on the left even consider their attitude about Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky. I mean, right. I wonder if that's like a conscious thing for them. No. Um, you know, in which case it would be hypocrisy right. or if it's just this, weird cognitive dissonance that sits below the surface. Yep. Or, uh, yeah. I, I think largely, I don't, I don't think they see it at all. Um, I, I think that there is a time where you can go overboard asking for consistency. Right. And, and it's something that we've touched on lightly here and there. I don't, I don't believe in like purity tests. And I don't, you know, but that that's a little bit different. Like I need a little bit of consistency from you. If, if, if you want to tell me that an affair is a sin Okay, so well, then it's got to be a sin for you, and it's got to be a sin for me. You don't get to pick and choose when it's in sin and when it's not. Right? You know what I mean? Right. So that's something that's sorely lacking on on both the right and the left. And speaking of the right, 
if we're going to talk about evangelicals uh, lacking consistency, let's talk about Roy Moore for a minute. Why don't we? <laughs> I cannot tell you how much I hate Roy Moore. I mean, this is the guy who straight up came out and said that transgenders don't have rights. Uh, they've never been denominated as having rights by the U.S. Supreme Court. That's a that's a direct quote, Mr. Moore. Yeah. Uh, last I checked, transgenders are humans, and in the U.S., we've got a bill of rights. It applies yeah. to all humans. Yeah, yeah that's so. That's, it's not like the Supreme Court has to step up and go, "Oh well, we're recognizing Asians today." Inalienable human rights and natural rights. That's, that's right. That's what that's this right. country, you know. And, and it wasn't always granted. There were some. There were some holes that we patched, but. Uh, I think by and large now we accept that everyone has the same rights. Right, right. Roy, man, you're stuck <laughs> in a time that we've left behind. Well, in, why are you still around? In more ways than one, apparently, because Roy is the, uh, you know, he ran for Senate down in Alabama. And while he was running for Senate, it came out uh, that he uh, had initiated sexual encounters. In one instance, he's alleged to have flat-out raped or attempted to rape a uh, 14-year-old girl. Uh, multiple women came out. Uh, they said at the time that he you know, tried to date them or rape them or whatever he did, uh, they were from the ages of 14 to 18, uh, and he was in his 30s, right? So this was back in the 70s. Um and there's a portion, there's a there's a big portion of Alabama Republicans who went out and voted for this guy. I can't even they're imagine. They're kids, yo. I mean, they're kids, man. Like, so, so nothing matters anymore. And again, you know flip I mean? the script if this had been Obama. If this had been, well, anybody on the, I mean, literally, what? yeah, Obama, sure. But I mean, anybody on the left, anybody, they would have, they would have been, freaking out rabid so frothing at the mouth so here's here's our king david explanation for roy moore they're like oh well you know he was born from a different time you know he lived in a different era <laughs> that is apparently true right. i'm gonna tell you what man i understand the argument that comes up sometimes it comes up a lot with like racism and, and, and homophobia somebody sure enough who was born during the great depression will say some outlandish great depression shit about some people all right and people freak out and flip out. Now, yeah. here's here's on one hand, I don't I don't think we should freak out and flip out. We should obviously condemn it, not encourage it. Say, hey man, get with the times, you know. But I don't think you know. You have to understand that somebody who was born in 1930 and and was indoctrinated and subjected to propaganda. I'm not surprised by the fact. I'm not that he surprised. Those I, ideas. I wouldn't elect him. I wouldn't elect him. Right. <laughs> I wouldn't support him. I wouldn't you know in any way endorse it. But I'm not surprised by it. But there's a difference, I think, between saying, well, you know, uh, Pop Pop has these views and Pop Pop tried to rape a 14 year old girl. You right. know what I mean? Like like uh, which and some people question the rape and, and screw you. You know what I mean? Because I just look at it. He, he signed her yearbook. Man. Uh, there was a I there mean, was a sheriff I, or something or, or one of the one of the people on a security detail that said they were they were interviewing cheerleaders one day and and. <laughs> And he was told specifically to keep Roy away from the cheerleaders. Oh now, I don't know if that's hearsay, yeah, yeah, but yeah. come on, man. Fair I enough. Know. But I, there, yeah, like I said, there's a big difference between somebody in in modern times. And fair enough, there haven't been any allegations about Roy. Uh, it's like, you know, past when he got married. I think he got married in the 80s. But I, I just want to say that there's a difference in I, I used to hold these views or these things might color my views and actions. 
You know, I you like I said, you condemn the views. So, of course, you condemn the actions. And if he is accused of dating or attempting to rape underage girls, we do not make him a senator. That's right. That's ever. right. So there's so 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 where the cognitive dissonance comes up in this, just to point it out specifically, um, the voters on the right who, who we can overwhelmingly assume, maybe not, but I think we can overwhelmingly assume that they're not for dating and, and 14 year old girls, 14 year old yeah, girls, absolutely. right? Yeah. Uh, except maybe in the very furthest extre- extremes of the religious right, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the very furthest extremes, the cold stuff. Yeah. I, I think, well, I think Benzo called us out a few weeks ago because there are laws on the books where underage kids can still get married, but come on. I mean, we're talking about cult shit. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. And, and that's a uh, few yeah. and far between. So, so the cognitive dissonance is in in wanting your your man Roy Moore to to win mm-hmm. and believing he's the right guy for the job and then this other information about him dating 14-year-old girls um so you so you have to justify one way or the other you have to drop Roy Moore as your as your candidate right. to rectify it with this new information or you have to somehow convince yourself that this new information is is irrelevant yeah. for the purposes of voting right um and and in and in this case, I think overwhelmingly people um, dropped Roy Moore because Roy Moore yeah. did not get elected. No, that's that's one of the things, uh, you know, I don't know, the, some of the narrative that comes out, a lot of, you know, people say that Roy Moore lost that election because black women came out to vote. But there's also a sizable contingent of the Alabama GOP that did not come out to vote. That did not and, vote and at all. And props to you guys because you guys saw all that dissonance. And and you were like, no, this and guy's, rectified it logically. This guy's shit. I want to win this election, but this guy's shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think it also shows that, like, so we feel like there's only two choices, right? Like, well, if I don't vote for Roy Moore, then I'm helping the Democrats mm-hmm. win and stuff like that. No, man, these people saw like I'm just not going to vote. You right. know, I, I can't. Doug Jones. I think for a lot of them, Doug Jones was pro-abortion and or you know pro-choice. And they couldn't go along with that, so they were like, "I'm yeah, just going to abstain." Tough, that's you know a tough I mean? thing, man. I mean, if, if we're if we're looking at abortion as as killing babies, and I, you know, I think it's I can't demonize someone for making that case. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, Supreme, I think we've had court decisions um, that have charged people with double murder for killing pregnant women. So, you know, in some cases, we do absolutely societally accept. Um, that, that fetuses are alive enough to be murdered. So, right. you know, there, there it is. You, yeah. you, so these, these poor people were confronted with uh, child rapist or baby killer or baby killer. And exactly. they stayed home and, and God bless them for it. Cause that's probably the best decision. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and then, and then let's, let's try to get in some new candidates so, you know, so for that, them. For that them. situation kind of illustrates the idea to me, um, kind of goes back to what you were talking about um, with cognitive dissonance. Uh, being, you know, this thing that you apply on people you don't like. No, we we suffer from it. The problems come mm-hmm. about in how we deal with the dissonance. Right. Um, and and sometimes it makes us do really wacky things that yeah. we wouldn't ordinarily like do. Justify child rape. Exactly. Like yeah. justify child rape. Yeah. Uh, are we? I, I think to hell with Roy Moore. Yeah. Yeah. I'm done talking about Roy Moore. Hell Fuck yeah, that man. guy. All right. Well, uh, so let's kick it over to another place where the cognitive dissonance grows, like. So many sunflowers in in the garden. Really, I, man, that was the best you could come up yeah, with. Damn, man, I'm just not on my metaphor game today. But uh, anyway, let's talk about uh, kneeling for the national anthem. Oh right? boy. Yeah. Um. So I guess we're gonna talk about Colin Kaepernick, a terrible, awful quarterback. <laughs> really? Yeah. No. That's the first it, thing you're out yeah, the gate with. One of the things. Okay. Well, it's important, right? It's important to this because the whole question comes up of like. 
you know, is the reason Colin Kaepernick doesn't have a job is because of this, this protest thing. It's part of it. it. It is part of it. But it's also because he was a shitty quarterback who was on his way out of the league before any of this started, man. Like, he's very much so. Uh, there was a guy a few years back in Cleveland named Derek Anderson. He came in, blew up the league, touchdown after touchdown. The next year, all the other teams got film on him. He was out of the league like by the end of that season. And Kaepernick was like that. Two years, hot streak, he beat my Green Bay Packers, uh, which that's why this that's bias why is you here. Hate yeah, Colin absolutely. Kaepernick. Eh? Uh, but then he was he was starting to throw picks. They were starting to get film on him, and he he just really isn't that good of a quarterback. So let's – I just want to make sure that that's there before we get into all this. Right. So so where does the where does the cognitive dissonance come into the, the Kaepernick issue? And, and to me, it comes in when you've got the right who are traditionally – uh, you know, for freedom, freedom of speech up in arms about someone kneeling at the national anthem. To me, uh, the flag, the anthem, they symbolize the freedom to kneel at mm-hmm. the national anthem, you right. know, or, or to stay seated during the Pledge of Allegiance at school. Right. Um, so I feel like there's some there's some dissonance there mm-hmm. between a, a view they would ordinarily hold now being, uh, you know, verboten. Right. When it's when it's cap kneeling for for Black Lives Matter, right, right. Well, I think it, it it's laughable to to the idea that you can't that you're disrespecting the flag or you're dishonoring the the country or the soldiers or whatever uh, if you kneel because that's what this country is. I mean, like that's what those that's absolutely one of the ideals that we we hang out front of our our place of you know our home. Sure, and that's what those soldiers were going to die for. So, if freedom of speech is the the very First Amendment, you know that the government can't abridge our freedom of speech, and they're exercising freedom of speech. I mean, like if you can't criticize the flag, that's not freedom of speech, right? If you can't criticize the country, then you're not you're not participating in freedom of speech. You're you you have the the limited ability to do speech that doesn't call into question the place where you you know what I'm saying. It's not so. If you're going to hang your hat on the Constitution, and we know you are with the Second Amendment, and a lot <laughs> very much so with the Fourth Amendment, and very much so with yeah, you know, that's right. And, and the First Amendment is something that you're going to hold up all the time and and stuff. You got to honor it here. Yeah, and then and then the guy you elected comes out and on Twitter and says sports fans should never condone players that do not stand proud for their national anthem or their country. Like, give me a break. That's right. that's totally un-American, anti-American, nationalist claptrap. Yeah, well, and and I mean the president, it's shameful. I mean, like the president has no business like even really getting involved in this situation. I think uh, you know partly it happened. The original kneeling uh, actually took place in Obama's administration, and to his credit, Obama came out and was saying there he is executing his constitutional right to, you know what I'm saying? There yeah. is no question that the government has no business in that conversation. There is there is a question there, though, and, and that question to me, sure, we have a right to free speech, but do you have a right to free speech at work? Mm. Um, does your employer also have to put up with speech that affects business. So, so say caps protest is costing the NFL billions of dollars. And I think it it absolutely, I think maybe they're down $20 billion or something. I don't know the number. I believe it's uh, 30 million viewers at least, or 30% of viewers are. Beanzo's going to squash us on this. I'm sure he Um, will. But, but really 
the question is, where do your rights end right. and, and someone else's rights begin? I mean, can you imagine a postal worker being on your doorstep proselytizing for Donald Trump? Right. Like how quickly would that guy get fired? Um, you know, after the third or fourth house that complains. Yeah. Um, so, so well, does think, the NFL have a right to say, look, you guys can protest all you want, but not on field. And and that's where I think we start seeing problems arise in the left's way of thinking, right? Because they want to get upset. There's also a boycott. That That's the interesting thing about the NFL right now. They're being boycotted from the right, uh, from people who are upset that the anthem's being disrespected. They're also being boycotted on from the left at people who are upset that the the it's not the NFL, but that some of the team owners would punish the players uh, for not for for taking a knee, right? Right. Well, here's the thing: like you, you know, we kind of talked about this in the Parkland episode when we were talking about school walkouts. Like, yes, you have the the right to take a political stand at work, meaning that the government is not going to touch you. Right. However, your employer... Your employer has a right to conduct his business within fair hiring laws and so forth, however he wants to conduct it. So, so when, when a, a teammate is causing people to post videos all over social media, burning their jerseys right, right. and turning their backs on the team, I think a team has a, a reasonable right to, to fire that person and get yeah. rid of them. And, and this is the same tactic... Um, that you see the left use all the time with mm-hmm. their boycotts. You know, they say, if you yeah. don't support something a company does, we withdraw our money from it. I, and that forces the company to change their position. Yeah. Right. So so that's the same thing I see happening with the NFL. Um, the NFL is teams are making a decision like we don't want this grease fire right. on our team. And and at the same time, instead of accepting that as a as a normal a normal business practice, you know, mm-hmm. the pressuring the businesses to change. Um, the, the left tends to look at this and, and cry racism instead. Right. Right. You know, and I think, I think there's also, there's even a, a third set of rights at play here. While I don't agree with the right stance that, uh, you know, kneeling for the anthem is wrong or goes against the country in any way. I think that's ridiculous. They absolutely have a right not to watch the NFL. Right. And the left, absolutely. If that's what you feel, I, I don't know how you got there, but if that's how you feel, you absolutely have a right not to watch. So, like, I think that people get in this in this mindset that if I think it's right, you you like you don't have the right to disagree. You know what I mean? Like you don't have so it's like if 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 Colin Kaepernick is standing for Black Lives Matter and you're not watching the NFL, then, you know, that that is racist to the point that you shouldn't be able to do that. It's almost it's almost like they want to make them watch. The NFL. <laughs> yeah, you know what you I mean? better watch the NFL. Yeah, you better watch the NFL, you know, and, and I think that it's and it's crazy to me. To me, we're we're taking uh, a national pastime and I, I don't, mm-hmm. I'm not a sports washer, but plenty right. of people love it. And when we apply a political view to it and treat it as an avenue for a political view, that's when things go sour, man. Right. Just just watch the football and enjoy it. It doesn't have to be political. Now, you know, Cap, you know, kind of made it political. And I think mm-hmm. I think maybe he overstepped the bounds um, in that he's now affecting his employer. Right. And and the business of his employer. Right. And and an employer does have every right. Uh, I mean, imagine a worker at a uh, an abortion clinic decides to like go anti-abortion all of a well, sudden. Well, how about this? Imagine a uh, guy at a tech company 
decides to write a anti-diversity screed. I see where this is going. Because, <laughs> <laughs> see, that's the thing about this is when I see people say, uh, like, you know, Jamel Hill, who's an ESPN commentator, you know, very much so on the left. When I see them say, oh, it is shameful if these owners punish these protesters or, you know, they're they're just they're using their First Amendment rights to to make a political statement and, and yada, yada, yada. And then I see James Damore over at Google get fired and I hear crickets. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of odd. Um, so for those of you who don't know, again, I don't know how you could not know about this. Um, mm -hmm. It's been all over the news for, you know, eight months or something. Uh, James Damore is a former Google employee. Uh, he wrote a memo addressing Google's diversity practices and how he felt um, that they weren't as effective as they could be. Um, he was accused of sexism, racism. Uh, if you read the tweets and you read the articles, people are, are calling him a flat out racist. Um, uh, I've read the memo. The memo was not racist. It's, it's in, just not there. In yeah. fact, I would like to read the opening paragraph from the memo on air. And we've got that link in the show notes. Check out sensentheorypodcast.com. Uh, go read it yourself uh, before you make a stand on, on James Damore. He says, I value diversity and inclusion. I'm not denying that sexism exists and don't endorse using stereotypes. When addressing the gap in representation in the population, we need to look at population level differences in distributions. If we can't have an honest discussion about this, then we can never truly solve the problem. Right. He's, and he's opening by acknowledging that Diversity is a good thing, and he values mm -hmm. inclusion. Um, he's not denying sexism, and, and right. that's what he's being accused of. No, I mean, it's, yeah, no, he's been lambasted. I mean, people people at Google, you know, this hit their, like, uh, what, do you, what is it, intranet? They, this hit, the, like, their internal thing. Yeah, so they have a system where it's uh, the culture at Google is really odd. They have yeah. systems where people can communicate, and they're encouraged to share their political ideas and, mm -hmm. and cultural ideology and stuff. And, and this it went over like a lead balloon. I mean, people, a bunch of people didn't show up to work next day, citing harassment and, and all that stuff. And so, in essence, what he was saying, and it's, and it's something that, you know, maybe you agree with, maybe you don't, but he's saying that Google is striving for 50-50 representation in their workforce of women and men in coding. And one of the main points of his memo is that that assumes that both women and men are interested in coding at a 50-50 level. Right. Right. And so it makes a lot of assumptions about women. And he lays out the science of why, you know, women might be less interested in coding or not they, why, but, but the how of it. I mean, it, yeah, yeah. Well, I, um, I, I don't, it, it, the science doesn't get much into, um, into the reasons that women feel this way. Right. And I right. think, well, it gets, it gets into, uh, things that may make them, uh, less apt to code. Right. You know, Agreeableness so, so let's, and stuff. Let's, yeah. Let's just leave it at that. And you, like I say, for, check out the memo because the memo has been looked at by all kinds of, you know, scientists. And they're like, no, no, he's, yeah, kinda, he's, yeah, he's right he's, on the science and stuff. Now, there are people who say we think that this study shows that that's not quite the case. You know, you can argue. But by no means was it out of bounds. It was a reasonable scientific argument. And he very clearly in the first line said, I value diversity and inclusion. And, and later on in the memo, I'll hit you with another section from it. 
um, towards the end. I hope it's clear that I'm not saying that diversity is bad, that Google or society is 100% fair, that we shouldn't try to correct for existing biases, or that minorities have the same experience of those in the majority. My larger point is that we have an intolerance for ideas and evidence that don't fit a certain ideology. I'm also not saying that we should restrict people to certain gender roles. I'm advocating for quite the opposite. Treat people as individuals, not just another member of their group. Tribalism. Yeah. And, and to me, I mean, this is what, this really resonates with me. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's, it's one of the areas I feel like we're, we're failing. And we're actually, we're trying to pull the train, um, you know, onto this rail, but we're actually pushing it to the, to the wrong rail. Right. Um, you know, I feel like some of the, the, the things we do to affect diversity um, are actually failing us. Uh, and, and Google is, Google is failing. Um, I mean, uh, sure. They got plenty of money, but God, have you ever used, uh, used Gmail for, for domains? Oh God, it's a, it's a train wreck. I mean, really? Um, but that's, that's, that's beside the point. Um, no, I think, I think what's, what's important here is to look at where the dissonance comes into play, right? Because so on one hand, uh, we'll, we'll focus on the left for just a second. Members of the left say, hey, team owners, you cannot punish Colin Kaepernick for making a political statement while he's at work. And then Google fires James Damore, and they're like, oh, well, he was harassing people with his political views at work. Right. So, And there's there's almost a parallel there to, to make, um, but I think there's a strong difference, too, in that Google actually asked people for their opinions on right. their diversity practices. Yeah. So, so no one ever asked Cap about yeah. his opinions uh, on Black Lives Matter. Well, he does. He does have reporters, but he. Yeah. So answering that Not question in work. the locker room, right? And doing something out on the field before the game, or, or two on camera for an interview. Things. Right. Right. You know, right. this this was solicited from James Damore by right. Google. So to then to then punish him for it, to me, that's a huge. That's a huge snafu. I mean, I can't, I can't imagine. And the California courts apparently threw out, you know, he tried to sue um, mm-hmm. for wrongful termination and the California courts threw it out, which is right. crazy to me. Yeah. And, and, you know, said it constituted harassment. I, yeah. I cannot see how you can read that memo unless there were other things that happened, well, um, you know, after the memo, before the memo that constituted harassment. I cannot take that memo as harassment in any way, shape. Let or me hit form. you with something funny, though. I, too, think it is shameful that Google... Uh, let James Damore go uh, over this memo. At the same time, I'm absolutely cool with the fact that they let James Damore go over this memo. Wait, wait, wait. So how 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 does this work? <laughs> I know. Doesn't doesn't that sound like I should be experiencing cognitive, cognitive dissonance? dissonance yes. Right. So how do you All rectify right. this cognitive dissonance? Because t- I see it, and I realize that there is no cognitive dissonance. Right. It sounds like there should be cognitive dissonance. I am not okay with what Google did. And I, I don't like the way that they misinterpreted James Damore's memo, and I will, to the end of days, say that. However, I acknowledge that if Google thought James Damore presented a risk to their company, and they were even able to do to verify that in, at the California Labor Board and in California courts, while I want to look at the California Labor Board <laughs> and California courts, 
hey man, they have a right to do it. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So So you can still think you can think a company is scummy for their behavior right. and still accept their right to do it. That's right. a rare yeah. that's a rare trade, I and well, think. Well, and I think I think so that's what's important to look at uh with Kaepernick too. To me, I, I completely support Kaepernick's right to protest the national anthem. I'm I'm one hundred percent behind, like I said, someone taking a stand against the flag if that's what they feel they need to do you know the reasons he thinks he needs to do it aside um but you know if if the team owners based on that are like man i don't want to give him a job great they have the right to do that as well i personally believe that corporations should be apolitical like if a corporation wants to govern itself by its values I'm I'm cool with that. I understand that. Like so I think of the small, you know, the small business owner that wants to use his values and how he runs his business. Of sure. course you would. Why wouldn't you, right? But that can still be problematic, right? So, you know, we can talk about the the gay cake bakery and stuff. I'm sure we will on a different yeah. episode. But so ideally what I want is I want corporations to be apolitical. I want them to have nothing to do with politics, right? right. And so if I push back from politics, right? Politics doesn't have to exist necessarily for Google to let James Damore go. A good portion of their employees didn't show up for work the next day. Yeah, boom. So you can make the argument that whether or not I think that should constitute harassment, there's a sizable portion of Google's workforce that definitely Yeah, if they're thought, losing their programming department yeah. tomorrow now, because of this Google, one guy. I think Google needs to look at their culture and figure out what the hell they've done where they almost lost their entire workforce over this memo. Well, right? it's funny because there, there's a there's a group of people who have come out um, as Google employees and said that you pretty much cannot hold conservative views yeah. publicly at Google or right. you will be forced out in some way, shape or form. So where is, where is the harassment really, you know, where does the yeah, harassment yeah. really lie there? No, that's a good question. If people yeah. honestly feel like their political views, um, are, are welcome on one side and unwelcome on another side, isn't, I mean, isn't that one of the problems we're, we're trying to fight against? Shouldn't right. in, in diversity, shouldn't views so, be diverse as well? So absolutely. But when we talk about this, we're talking about it from um, almost like a morality standpoint, right? Like, so we can sit here and we can say, yes, absolutely. In my opinion, actually, he's the one who's who's subject to harassment because the moment he broke groupthink, look at what happened. Right. You know, and and, and straight up, I mean, the dude had death threats. Uh, they were actually, there was at one point, they were riding him on that, on that intranet or whatever, on that internal thing. And there was a like a, a higher up manager. They had these unofficial, like they don't mean much, but at the same time, they're still like... Uh, Google kudos and management was giving certain employees kudos for the way they were taking down James Damore. I mean, like, like, yeah, dude, no, it got real ugly at the same time. Like, is that illegal? You know what I mean? Like, like, so to me, that's when you have to separate it and say, now let's talk about what's legal and what's not, because Lord knows our laws don't always reflect our morality. You know what I'm saying? Like we want them to, we're trying, you know, but, but you have to make that division. I think people can't do that. And that creates the cognitive dissonance. You know what I mean? Right. Because they need their laws to reflect, you know, and and it's a noble goal, no doubt, but they assume that it should be. That's kind of what I was, I was getting to when I said, you know, it's, it's like the left feels like 
there should be a law against you not watching the NFL if that's the reason why you're not watching it. You know what I mean? Like, like, and so, yeah, I think that's the the key in in all of cognitive dissonance, right? Is the more you separate it, right? If 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 you don't, you look at what keeps those two things from fighting. Like that's that's the answer. You know what I'm saying? The way to find your way through it. I think. Right. You know? I, I think when we rationalize. When we rationalize through cognitive dissonance, the results are are generally better than than just knee jerk react. And that's the case in almost almost any decision you make. Yeah, but yeah. when we when we make a knee jerk reaction based on on emotions, you know, nine times out of ten, wacky shit happens. Hmm. Um, you know, you get uh, supporting Cap and not supporting James Demore. You get these yeah. these weird things and. Speaking of law and order, man. Well, I was going to say, um, speaking of things where we make decisions based on emotions. Oh, that too. Yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think we got to, if we're talking about cognitive dissonance, we've got to talk about uh, the state of policing in America. And uh, just to plug next week, we are going to dive really deep into policing in America. Mm-hmm. Um, today, we're just going to talk about it uh, in the scope of, of cognitive dissonance. So yeah. you want to kick us off here? Well, actually, yeah. Uh, so when we're talking about cognitive dissonance and and policing in America. What else can you say about two segments of the population? One segment, A, believes that uh, the tyranny of the state is an ever-present danger, so we all need to be heavily armed, but that the police are not infallible in their use of force. (laughs) The other segment of the population... (laughs) believes that the idea that the state would ever become so tyrannous that we need to be heavily armed is laughable, (laughs) but that cops are killing people every day with no regard for law and Hitler is president. I I, I don't know what else. What else can you say about it? I mean, the left is saying there's a fascist dictator uh, in place yet. Let's take the guns. Yeah. You know, just across the aisle, uh, the the party who's clinging desperately to their guns in fear of some ominous government that may go rogue and try to take them and start killing citizens uh, is somehow convincing themselves that police shootings, you know, government shootings aren't happening. Yeah, they're yeah. all justified. Yeah, they're every one of them. Uh, just shouldn't have been a criminal, buddy. You, yeah. you know, <laughs> and no, and that's Lord. and that's largely what? what it amounts to. Is what we is see, happening? We see time and time again. Um people confronted with this idea, right? They, they, they want to believe that the police are out there and they're protecting us and everything. And that the police aren't racist and the police aren't, uh, you know, overusing force and stuff. And yet weekly, sometimes they're confronted with another incident in which, uh, you know, an officer has gone above and beyond and straight up like executed somebody. Yeah. I, I mean, Tamir Rice, Philando Castile, mm-hmm. um, Daniel Shaver. Yeah, absolutely. Crawling across the floor, um, you know, under direction of an officer. Yeah. Crawling across a floor on his hands and knees. I mean, if you can watch that video and not and, and no, tell me there's not a problem. And well, so what happens is when they're when they're met with that dissonance, right? When they're met with, you know, I want to believe the police are good, but they're killing people every week. They're like, well, they, they were all criminals. You know, I mean, like, like, so Daniel Michael Shaver, Brown, Michael Brown shouldn't have been uh, uh, stealing a cigar. Right, right. And you know? uh, what was it? Trayvon was looking in windows and this Daniel Shaver kid, uh, which the cops were out there, I believe, for a noise ordinance. Yeah, they know? were playing music in yeah, the hotel room at 3 a.m. Yeah. 
And so they're like, well, you know, if, if he wouldn't have been playing music so loud, he wouldn't have come into contact with the cops. If you just, nothing good happens after 1 a.m. I've, I've heard that before, yeah. you know? And it's like, well, sure, man, but it, they, they executed him, dude. Yeah. Like, when you watch that video, if you can watch that video and not feel sick at how terrified that man is crawling down that hallway, like, he's terrified, and he makes a simple mistake, and he gets executed. And so... For you to to try to work your way past that, man, no, you need to you need to rub that in your face and and figure some shit out. And it amazes me that you can that you can do that that you can that you can be so ready to say that the police are you know that they were completely justified there when you live in fear of that tyrannous of, of some tyrannous government right? coming. Yeah, absolutely. So I completely understand how some people would accuse them of hypocrisy. But I don't think, I think that's, that's kind of what we were talking about early on, like with cognitive dissonance. I don't know if they're confronted with that. Yeah. I don't I know don't if they're know if, actually yeah, if they reconciling those two views. You know what I mean? And, and, and I think that like, you know, they're, they're like, well, I believe the state could become tyrannous. I, I don't think it's there yet. And at any rate, this cop isn't really the state. That's not, that's not Obama out there trying to take my guns. <laughs> it's just, it's just John the cop, my yeah. old buddy from around the corner. You know what I mean? So like they don't see it because they're not willing to look at it. Right. And it isn't that that's one of the common reactions to, to cognitive dissonance is mm -hmm. to totally write off and ignore right. one of the dissonant well, views, you know, in, in much the same way that hypocrisy is a part of, you know, as a reaction to cognitive dissonance, confirmation bias is, or in confirmation bias is the idea that you will only seek out things that assert, you know, that confirm or assert your worldview and try to ignore things that don't. That's right. You know, so, uh, so very much that's at play here. I think, yeah. I, I think, um, on, on the left, every time you see another shooting of, of an unarmed black person or an unarmed person, it feeds your worldview of this problem, right? Mm -hmm. So if you've got the media that's only covering black people getting shot by police, mm -hmm. that's feeding your worldview. You yeah, know, we'll whereas see. the Daniel Shavers of the world, I don't think the Daniel Shaver video uh, went viral at all. No, and, uh, and this is a, the white guy who was. No, it no, it absolutely went viral, but it had no staying power. Right. Like we're not talking about it today. Michael Brown's name, Tamir Rice's name, they come up on the news, you know, every other week or so. Daniel Shaver, he had his week and that's it. And that's it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I think that that's something that we also have to highlight to be fair to people dealing with cognitive dissonance. Right. Sometimes they have, uh, we'll call it an easy out that can lead to some of these glaring contradictions. So do I believe that the manner and frequency with which police shootings are presented on media, do I believe that it is agenda driven? Okay. <laughs> Rightly or wrongly, I'm not going to make any judgments right now about that agenda. Uh, yes. You know what I'm, the manner in which, you know, what you just highlighted, why does Daniel Shaver not come up every so often? Right. right. And there are other factors at play. There are other, you know, externalities. Uh, for instance, there is a Houston study or a study uh, by a man named Rolando Fryer uh, about the city of Houston and some other cities that we're going to talk about in depth uh, next week um, that that lays out that black people may not be getting shot at a higher rate than white people. And, and in some instances, in some situations, white people actually may be much more likely. To yeah. Be shot. The same study did find that uh, aggressive force. Was, was used overwhelmingly used on black people disproportionately more often. Right. against black people, right. but that shooting specifically 
um, are not necessarily higher uh, yeah. when 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 we're dealing with black people. So so there are things out there that can kind of you know mitigate you know like well maybe maybe that's not necessarily the case and the dissonance only really takes hold when that has to be the case it's easy out well you know? so look what happens when you're when you're confronted with this study i think someone who believes that the police are are racist mm-hmm. um and are out here killing black people every day will automatically begin chipping away in any way they can at that study right. um they're going to st- their mind is going to start reeling and say well how can this be not true right. how can i make this not true right right um instead of instead of looking at it on its merits and saying mm-hmm. you know well what did he do what was the methodology right um so you know that that reaction is not is not healthy yeah it's it's feeding it's feeding your bubble we, and 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 you may be right you know what i'm saying i'm not saying mm-hmm. you're i'm not saying they're that person is wrong because right. they may absolutely be right and 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 cops may be overwhelmingly racist and and mm-hmm. may be killing black people well uh, i think I disproportionately think, i think the answer though i think like what you, what what it kind of speaks to is a little bit of what i was just saying in the last section though is that separated separated i mean th- that's all you have to do the dissonance arises when you try to hold these two beliefs one the media is driving an agenda and it's it's lies the cops aren't really doing this and then b or two uh we just saw this guy get shot by police the police are being that violent and stuff so when you try to hold those two things that's the dissonance comes in and you, and you start making justifications well you know he that kid was doing something criminal he shouldn't have been doing something criminal all you have to do is realize that they aren't mutually exclusive. Right. The, the, the media is driving an agenda and, and cops are screwing up. Right. Those two things are happening simultaneously. And that is a possible world. Like that is, that is, there's no reason those two things can't happen at the same time. Right. Right. And I think we see, um, kind of the same thing happen here with, uh, with the election. Right. I mean, well, I, I think what's interesting, uh, is, one of one of, there's another paradigm in cognitive dissonance theory that's called uh, the free choice paradigm, and so think, so that's like once you once you choose something, you've got to justify to yourself uh, why you made that choice, why right. that choice was a good choice. I, th- I think one of the perfect examples I saw was they were talking about shopping for a car, and let's say there's a BMW that you got your eye on because it's really you know classy and cool, but it's a little expensive. And then a little expensive. Yeah, yeah. When was the last time you went car shopping, oh, bro? Man, I, I, not on Craigslist, uh, but anyway. Um, and then uh, there's a Dodge Neon that's very affordable, but it's a Dodge Neon. Like it's not, you know, not too cool. So you got things that you like with both. Well, when you make the choice and you say this is more important, you still have to rectify the fact that there is a positive to the one you didn't choose, right? So you, so now. The fact that the Dodge Neon was affordable, that can't be more important right. than that. So you got to, ah, well, you know, the Dodge is, you find other reasons to be mad at it and stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the election of 2016, <laughs> all right? So, so what did we see here? We saw the dissonance take place on election night. Right. For the left, it was the idea that we live in a world where Donald Trump could be elected yeah. president. How could this possibly happen? Right. So now, after the fact, we have got to make Trump into this terrible being and, and make yep. Hillary Clinton into a, into a saint. Right, right. You've, you've got to do it mm-hmm. um, to justify 
how angry you were and how and how upset you were that Donald Trump could possibly be elected. And and also now he's got to be a monster. And you've also got, you know, a serious problem. There's serious dissonance with the idea that he could be elected. So you've got to question that. You've got to have some nefarious country. Russia, anybody? Come in. And like, there's no way he could have been elected if it wasn't for that. You know? Well, you got the same thing on the other side. Because now... People on the right are confronted with the fact <laughs> that they are being represented by Donald Trump. And and who is who is kind of stomping on their their own beliefs and values. Yeah, stomping on their beliefs, uh, grabbing crotches, uh, you know, just doing Donald Trump shit. You uh, know? Saying he'd sign a gun bill. So in order to heal that dissonance, Hillary Clinton has to be the most despicable creature that right. ever lived on the That's face of the That's why planet. I voted for this terrible, yeah. terrible candidate is because Hillary was so, so bad of a slime creature. Right, right. It- so in in truth, in, and that's in, why we still see on Twitter. I mean, people wonder. You know, I see people getting shut down for for shitting on Hillary. Like she lost the election. What are you talking about? Well, yeah. you still have to justify to yourself yeah, how terrible exactly. she is. Yeah, it's almost. It's I don't know what the proportion is, but it's like, oh, Trump did what? God, uh, Hillary. Uh, screw Hillary, man. So screw bad. Hillary, yeah, exactly. dude. And you know that that probably contributes to the whataboutism and and everything else. In truth, uh, Hillary was a shitty establishment candidate. You know what I mean? Yeah. In, my, in my opinion, I'm, in this, you know, she was a shitty establishment candidate. She was not the Antichrist, man. And Trump, uh, he's 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 a joke. He does some some wild shit, but he's not Adolf Hitler, man. Yeah. Like, and and, and the same is true. Trump is not a great statesman, and Hillary wasn't going to liberate anybody. So you know what I mean? That's, <laughs> it's interesting when you pose it that way because I've often wondered, um, you know, exactly how we got to this point of hyperbole. Right. When it comes to to two candidates. And I think the reason is a reaction to cognitive dissonance. Right. Mm-hmm. So so we get really uncomfortable when when we have these opposing views. And again, we do crazy shit. Yeah. To justify it. Right. And here is here is like the prime example. Smack you in the face well, with it. one of the interesting things when I was you know looking at stuff, I read that researchers were excited because they had been able to study elections where both candidates were liked. And they had been able to study elections where one side liked one candidate, but the other side was eh. But they'd never seen an election where like pretty much, if we back it up a year and a half, or let's say we back it up three years okay, or four years, and we go to everybody and we're like, hey, we're going to have Donald Trump versus Hillary Clinton for president. People be like, hell no, man. <laughs> Ain't no way, you know? So they're excited to study uh, cognitive dissonance and its impact on this election in particular because it's so terrible and and created so, and is still creating so much dissonance. You so know? what the hell is the answer to me? I mean, how how am I able to, to rectify both, you know, both bad candidates? I mean... For one, I didn't vote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I couldn't, you know, I wasn't going to vote for either of them. Yeah. Um, so so that may, maybe makes it easy for me. But how does the average person even begin to take a step back right. and and look more objectively, you know, and get beyond the the detrimental effects of cognitive dissonance? Because we're not going to get rid of the dissonance. Right. The dissonance is a result of the state of the world right. as it is. It's, well, and I think it's, in, you know, at the very beginning of the show. There's dissonance in how you treat your diet. There's dissonance in how you, you know, smoking. There's dissonance uh, can arise from choosing which car you're going to buy. Sure. So dissonance is something that affects us every day, not just in politics. And it's not just, you know, 
So I I don't really have like any guru answers for you. You know what I mean? But I did. I, I sat I've down. read the outline, man. You got the guru <laughs> out answers right here. Well, I sat down and I thought about it, right? And and so the first thing I'm going to say is recognition is key, right? Like it's not that cognitive dissonance can take you to weird places, but it's a hell of a lot harder for it to do it if you're watching it. Right. Right. So one of the things, the first thing I think you have to avoid is you're running away from it. Because that's what happens. Like you experience the dissonance and you don't want to deal with it. So you just, you, you, you run and hide. You're that's, like, the, oh, that's the easy out. You know, uh, well, well, uh, they're disrespecting the flag. I'm out. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, like if you disrespect the flag, that's always bad. You know, and I think we do that. We, we do that subconsciously too. You know, it yeah. goes back to talking about, you know, one reaction being just ignoring mm-hmm. the conflicting data. Just, one of the, one of the ways to deal with cognitive dissonance is to change your view. So you're only going to be able to see if that's a viable option or if that's if you get inside it, like analyze it and, and, and really get a hold on it. And I would say if you're going to watch it, if you have to recognize it, then how do you recognize it? Well, there's warning signs. You find yourself doubling down on something, right? If you're like, well, I hear what you're saying, but this, I still think this. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Maybe you're right. But you need to stop and think. Look at it. Did that feel natural? You know what I mean? Like, are you are you forcing it just to win a point? Yeah. You know? Did you consider the other point? Absolutely. <laughs> and I think, speaking of wins, that kind of moves to the next one is the team sports thing has to go, man. Like, like the, the, to. you can't, you are going to be confronted <clears throat> with cognitive dissonance repeatedly if you're a part of a team that gets to dictate to you what your beliefs are. Yep. You know, so now you're having to cover for shit that you never really signed up for, but ah, that's what the Dems think. And I, I like the Dems and I'm a Dem or I'm a, I'm a red, I'm a Republican. This is what Republicans think. Well, you're bound to run into cognitive dissonance over because you're accepting someone else's values. And over. Right. Uh, I think also we can, we can look at candidates, even if we're playing the team sports game to an extent we need to look at candidates for their individual merits and understand that there are going to be parts of that candidate that we disagree with and maybe mm-hmm. disagree with vehemently. Um, so we've got to accept, you know, the possibility for a, a flawed representative. Mm-hmm. You know, it's obviously not going to yeah. be perfect for everyone. Well, yeah, no, I think I think that's what like it seems like that's what everybody's looking for, right? Like that perfect person. Yeah, we that want a superhero, everything. and it, it just doesn't exist, man. Uh, I think you have a much better chance with movements. Like I wish, I wish people, well, not even movements. I wish people would get as excited about laws and measures as they do candidates, right? Because look, if there's a law and it says this, well, that's what I believe. I support that law. So put that, that energy. I'm with you, but the way we write laws is not conducive to the average person looking at a law that way, right? right? I mean, you look at what's what was passed um, in Kentucky, which we'll be talking about in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. We just passed this uh, this pension bill attached to a wastewater management bill, you know, mm-hmm. passed it overnight, snuck it through, right. and it's 291 pages. Right. Um, I don't think we can look at that bill. And in fact, I've tried mm-hmm. to sit down and, and look at that that you, law like, right. like a candidate, but dude, I can't understand it. Let, I mean, me, let me clarify a little bit, because I think people are doing exactly what I'm asking, though. In that case, people were damn mad about that law, right? That's true. We shut down schools. That's what I'm saying. They're excited. 
excited in a negative way about that law. What I'm saying is I want us worked up about laws when they pass like that. Right. Whether it's for it, supporting it, getting out there and, and trying to support it or against it because, you know, whatever. Instead of so damn focused on who the president is, because the president is going to let you down That's here right. and there. John sure. McCain is going to let you down. And and you know the history. Do we have any famous presidents that were, you know, shameful adulterers <laughs> that were good presidents? Uh, I hell, uh Thomas Jefferson. Uh, oh, what? Uh, yeah, you don't no, say. absolutely. Uh, let's. Jeez, man. I mean, I, I've heard an accusation about Lincoln. Uh-huh. You know, I can't say uh-huh. anything about that. Uh, Kennedy. There was a guy that never cheated on his wife. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. No, man. It happens. It. it you know. There's so. There's always going to be those things, like you, like you're saying, and they may not be perfect in every case. So let's not worry about that. I mean, worry about it. No, Obviously, no. we need a good president, but let's focus on the things, not the you know. And let's separate and let's separate them. You know, mm-hmm. you can say don't worry about it. No, worry about it if you want right. to, but 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 separate it. I mean, the guy the guy's elected now. Yeah. You know, if he does if he does good, I feel like we ought to support the good he does, if just to support. The idea in the future, uh-huh, uh-huh. you know, if he, if if Trump makes policies that uh, that decrease unemployment and and increase the economy, right. then then damn you, you got to separate that from Trump himself. We can right. still say, well, he's a disgusting pig of a man that probably didn't deserve to be there. But hey, yeah, but this this did happen, and <laughs> yes. it is yeah. Well, I think I think so. That speaks to the last thing I would say is is reject dichotomies, right? Because, you know, like we're saying, dude, life is rarely that simple. And there's normally, as we showed with, you know, James Damore and the anthem and to a degree, you know, right there with policing. Normally, the more complex you allow an issue to be, the simpler it gets. Right. So so if I want to keep it simple and I want to say, you know, workplaces should never be able to fire somebody for what they say. The defense of that is incredibly complex. But if I break it down and I say, I can be mad at a workplace for firing somebody for what they say, but they are allowed to fire people for what they say. You know what I'm saying? Right. Now, you, you've made it a more complex statement, but I can defend either one of those very easily without causing myself much anguish. You know what I mean? <laughs> and that's the key. And speaking of anguish, I think it's almost time for Beanzo the baboon to speak to his buddies about Damn. bashing the Sense and Theory podcast. I don't know what I'm more impressed with, the Beanzo the baboon thing or all that alliteration. Hell yeah. Oh, yeah. Take it away, Beanzo. Once again, you fellas have racked me with great mental anguish of my own. On the one hand, I firmly believe that my world-class fact-checking is the only thing keeping this show even close to enjoyable. Yet this listener-requested episode presents me with evidence that we simultaneously have listeners and that my fact-checking is fallible. Could it be that this show isn't terrible? Could people sit and listen to you two ramble on and not need the sweet, sweet dose of beans at the end to take the edge off? Gotta tell you, that idea upends my worldview, buddies. Maybe folks don't care that you totally butchered that Stormy Daniels quote theory. She said the man who accosted her in Las Vegas said, leave Trump alone. Forget the story. He then looked into her car at her daughter and said, that's a beautiful little girl. It'd be a shame if something happened to her mom. But maybe folks do prefer your grossly simplistic paraphrasing. Since? I have no idea how you got that 20 billion number on the NFL. 
I couldn't even fact check your assertion because all you said was that they lost $20 billion with absolutely no context. And then Theory tried to take my job by backing you up with viewership loss numbers, which were wrong. They lost 10%, not 30%. But don't sweat it, buddy. Maybe I'm just being unreasonable. Ah, no, no. I know my fact checking is world class. And I know since calling it a Cleveland steamroller is ludicrous. So perhaps one can be world class and not be a machine. And if I'm not a machine, then I'm a human. And a man can only do so much. (laughs) So the answer is, I only miss the tortilla thing because of how terrible this show is. Not even being supreme can save this grease fire. Fellas, back to you. Yeah, uh, clearly, Beanzo, you learned a lot from today's episode on how to healthily deal with cognitive dissonance. Uh, I thought he was almost going to like give us kudos and props for a minute. <laughs> yeah, but he was, he was saved from doing that by a feat of reasoning. Uh, anyway, uh, so next week, guys, uh, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about policing in America. We're real excited for that episode, and uh, we hope you guys will be back, too, to enjoy listening to you it. You know what? Before we close out, though, I'm... I'm suffering from a little bit of cognitive dissonance myself. Yeah. Because, you know, our guest, Laurent, last week, I have not been able to stop thinking about this. Um, no, Shakira, she, she, she bought those, those 200,000 pound diamond encrusted shoes. And you've got to be shitting. Well, Taylor Swift has never rocked quarter million dollar shoes. And I really like that Paul Simon song, Diamonds on the Soles of Her Shoes. So keeping you up at night. I just, man, I don't really know where to go from here. Hey, folks, I'm Sense, one half of the Sense of Theory podcast. I'd like to take a second to thank you for listening. Uh, It's your time and attention that makes this show worthwhile. Uh, We do the show for you and our listeners. Um, I'd ask you to leave a review, good or bad, on iTunes. Uh, Come check us out on the various social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can find the links uh, in the description to the show. And uh, if you want to reach out with a comment, uh, joke, uh, funny anecdote, uh, you want to call me an idiot, uh, senseintheorypodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, Thanks again, folks, and we'll see you next week.